there's, a, there's an old preaching joke, which you've probably heard before, about a uh, flood in a little Oklahoma town, and the water has gone up to the rooftop, and everybody's trapped on the roof, including the preacher, he's trapped on the roof of the church. And he's up there when a log floats up to the edge of the roof. He thinks, well, if I climb on that, I might get out of the flood waters. But instead he says, Lord, I'm, I trust that you will rescue me from this situation. And he lets that log drift off. A little time later, some people from his church come rowing up in a rowboat. And they're like, Pastor, get in. We got room for one more. We're getting out of here. He doesn't want to set a bad example. He says, guys, I, I prayed that the Lord will rescue me. And I will trust and I will wait on him. And they said, well, okay. And they rowed off. A little while later, a rescue helicopter comes in. They throw a rope down. They're like, take the rope. And he's like, no, I, I've prayed. I trust in God that he's going to deliver me. So he waves them on and reluctantly they fly on. And the water rises and sweeps the pastor off the roof and he drowns. And he appears before the throne of God. And his first question is, Lord, I, I prayed that you'd protect me. Why, why didn't you rescue me? And God says, what do you mean? I sent you a log and then a boat full of people and then a helicopter. These tests of God, you know, they're not always in jokes. Um, I have a friend, uh, well, I had a friend a long time ago, and, and when he was a kid, he had really bad eyesight, really thick glasses, great source of embarrassment for him. In the 80s, glasses weren't as cool as they are now. And um, so his folks bought him contact lenses, uh, which in the 80s for a kid was a really expensive investment, and I hope that would help, but he went to a church service and they prayed about healing. And the pastor said, not only do you need to trust that the Lord will heal you, you have to behave as if he has already healed you. You must cast aside all crutches that show that you think God might not heal you. And so he went home that night and, and in great faith, he threw away his glasses and those expensive contact lenses into the trash um, to believe that God had already healed him. And when he woke up in the morning, he opened his eyes and he still couldn't see any better. Jesus is in the desert in the passage that we're studying this season of Lent. And he's vulnerable in the desert. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. We've talked about that. And the devil is there tempting him in the desert. And he's even quoting scripture to him and twisting the scriptures. And we've talked about that. But here's what's new. This week, this third temptation is really silly. It's really, really a silly temptation. The devil goes from tempting him with food, which is very understandable for someone who's been fasting for 40 days, to tempting him with power to rule the world and the kingdoms of the world, which is dangerous, but an understandable temptation for someone who's come to announce the kingdom of God. This last temptation is just a stupid stunt, just to, to prove whether God is really there or not. Let us stand together as we read from the Lord's word this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter four, we'll begin in verse nine. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You may be seated. So here is where this drama is playing out. This is a model of what the ancient temple in Jerusalem probably looked like. And you can see there was a walkway in ancient times that went all the way around it. And up here on this front corner, that walkway hung over a big cliff. 
So this was a high point. It would be really easy to climb up on that little parapet and jump off to your death. And this is where Jesus is standing. Now, the devil quotes him this verse, and it is from the Bible. It is from Psalm 91. It's a verse about having courage, about stepping out into God's will and trusting that God will protect you if you're doing his will. His angels will hold you up. You, you won't even hurt your foot on a pebble. But is this what it's talking about? You know, ancient Jewish history says that this is the corner where when the people got fed up with the prophet Jeremiah, they threw him off right there. Later, after the resurrection, in our story, Jesus' brother James, who's the head of the first church in Jerusalem, this is where they'll throw him off. People do die doing the will of God. You know, there are people all over the world right now standing up for faith in Jesus Christ. Some of them are protected by miracles, and some of them aren't. There are people right now standing up for, for faith, for family, for country, for children, for the innocent, and they are being killed. To really make that verse in Psalms, Psalm 91 true, you have to have the resurrection of the dead. You have to have the resurrection of the dead to eternal life to really make God's picture of protection complete. For some folks, that's all the, all the hope of protection that they have is the resurrection from the dead. Knowing that, I think, well, still hasn't stopped us in the church from having a long history of folks trying to test God, being tempted to test God. Right now in Missouri, especially in this deep southern hilly part of the state, this might be the morning that people will go forward in their church, run up to their pulpit, and pick up live rattlesnakes to show that they have faith. All, oh, no, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Never touched a live rattlesnake in my life. Uh, um, right now, all over the world, people are avoiding medical attention because they believe if they take part in medicine and medical science, that proves you know, somehow they don't have faith that God will heal them. I bet there's still kids this morning who threw away their glasses and contact lenses last night. And this morning, Jesus is at the corner of the temple and he's hearing a voice saying, you're about to go out into this dangerous ministry and God says he's going to protect you? Why don't we start off with a little test? Just jump off and see if he's really there. Well, do you have faith or not? I mean, scriptures, it's scriptures that says all this stuff. It's the Bible that says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can pick up serpents and they won't strike you. It's the Bible that says, uh, if you uh, are sick, God will heal you. God can restore sight to the blind. It's God that says his angel, it's, it's his word that says that his angels will lift you up. You won't even hit your foot on a stone. So do you have faith or not? Why not pick up a snake and throw your glasses away and jump off the temple? This is confusing. It's Jesus who shows us how to address and deal with this kind of temptation. In verse 12. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Moving forward in God's calling on your life and trusting his protection, that's one thing. Hurling yourself into a danger that God didn't call you to, especially if it's just to see if he's really there before you take the real test, that's not faith. 
I found a great quote from a Bible scholar as I was preparing for this message I wanted to share with you. He said, testing God is really doubt, pretending to be faith. Real faith would need no test. Testing God is really doubt, pretending to be faith. Real faith would need no test. Real faith would say, live your life. If you ever needed to pick up a snake, you'd find out then, you know. I'm sure God would do something for you. Real faith would say, just keep wearing your glasses. If he intends to heal you, you'll wake up one morning, you won't need them. Real faith would say, announce the kingdom of God. If you need the resurrection when the time comes, it'll be there. You don't need to do a test now to see if he's really there. And real wisdom knows uh, there are plenty of tests to come. We don't have to invent any. We don't have to create any trials or tests. There are plenty. The world will provide plenty for us. And that's all it took. Verse 13. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him. Until the next opportunity came. I always hate how that verse ends. Reminds me of the Terminator. I'll be back. But temptation is actually a weak thing in the face of faith. It comes, and then it goes. Our good God never lets it stay on us, minute after minute, hour after hour, week after week. If you're experiencing temptation like that, I find usually there's something we're doing in our life to flirt with it and invite it and not, not resist it. Sometimes with some fierce resisting, the temptation goes away. Sometimes with surprisingly little resisting, just a little prayer, God help me, it goes away. Our good God never lets it sit on us minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, week after week. You'll notice temptation, once resisted, starts to get bold. It starts to get almost dumb. Why don't you jump off the temple? Just do something crazy, quick. You can feel the shortness of temptation as it tries to draw you into sillier and sillier things before it's dismissed by the Holy Spirit. Always remember in that moment what the devil's game is because it's the same every time. He says, hey, step out of bounds with me because God's not there. And then he accuses you once you step out of bounds. It's always his scheme to say, step away from God just for a second. It'll be okay. And then when you do, he points at you and says, look at that fool who stepped away from God. Criminal. Look at that guy who jumped off the temple. What do you think was going to happen? Look at that fool who picked up snakes or threw away his contacts. What do you think was going to happen? Always remember when you're tempted, it's always a setup. It's always a setup. That same voice will shame you the moment you give in. So resist the devil. Resist the devil. We have all the protection we need here in the cross of Jesus Christ. Can we light that up for me? We have all the, we have all the um, protection we need here in the cross of Jesus Christ. Can we throw a little light on the cross here? Yeah, they're working on it. Okay. It's like the computer program runs this. You can't just make stuff up in the middle. Um, so this seems like a lot of leniency. This seems like some get out of jail free card. But it's just what we need. We don't have all the strength it takes to resist all the temptations that come our way. I mean, we need this. I mean, this seems like too good to be true, but good thing that it's true because we need this. This is all we got. Jesus becomes that other character in the Terminator who says, come with me if you want to live. 
Come with me if you want to live. I'll, I'll walk you out of this. I know the way. I've been in this desert before. I know how tempting that voice is. I know how unsure you are that God's there, but I've been there and I weathered this and I purchased you with this cross. Come with me if you want to live. You know, Jesus was there on a windy day looking over the corner wondering, man, is God really going to carry me through this thing? And the voice whispered, well, why don't you jump? But he didn't do it that day. And that's what gives him the right to take us with him where he's going. Lent is a good time to remember the times we were tempted by something silly and we gave in. And Lent is a good time to remember that our forgiveness has been purchased on this cross. And Lent is a good time to remember that Jesus was there and so he understands. He's not saying, what a dummy, who would ever do that? He knows. He could, he could tell you just how close he got. Did he put a hand up there? What happened next? He'll, he'll be able to tell you. Lent is also a good time to forgive yourself. This is why a lot of people don't fast on the Sundays during Lent. Have you ever heard of this tradition? They fast for 40 days of Lent, but if you go from Ash Wednesday to Easter, it's actually 46 days. You have to take all the Sundays out for it to be 40 days. And so there are a lot of people who don't fast on Lent. They say, that's the Lord's day. That's the day to remember the cross. That's the day to remember the resurrection. That's the day to celebrate uh, the freedom that God has given us that we could never get for ourselves. And so, they, so on Sundays, they drink their coffee. And they say, praise the Lord. It's really his cross is what gets me through this. Uh, on, on Sundays, they eat chocolate. On Sundays, I've known people who play video games all day long and say, I'm celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, a lot of you are like, that's cheating. That's nothing. Say you're going to fast during Lent and then every six days you stop doing it. Okay, all right. Let me, let me challenge that just a minute. You're right, it's cheating if your Lenten fast was to show your devotion to God. If your Lenten fast was to declare that you have the willpower to follow God. If your Lenten fast was to rely on your spiritual strength and your willpower. But I thought that our fasts were to focus on God. And our fasts were to declare that we belong to Jesus. And our fast was to rely on him. So maybe every six days to stop and go, yeah, all that aside, I need the cross. I am so glad for the cross. Truth is, I only did my Lenten fast about uh, five and a half days out of seven anyway. So I need the cross of Christ for, for this and for everything. Maybe it's a time to declare. It's not about me, it's about him. Hallelujah that it's about him. Can't wait till we say hallelujah on Easter again. Uh, Maybe it's a good day to say, I rely on that. I don't rely on anything inside here. Maybe not fasting on Sunday actually doubles the power of what you're supposed to be declaring and focusing on and relying on. I don't know. A lot of people do it that way. Maybe it brings it back not just to God, but to the version of God you find in Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. Maybe, I don't know, try it. Try it. It may be just a way to say it's not about me and what I can do and trying harder. It's about him. It was always about him. I'll fast again on Monday and Saturday, 
and get all the things I get from that, but on Sunday I'm getting something different. I'm getting the cross. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, may it be all about you. May it be all about your cross. We thank you, Lord, that you went before us. We know that you were in the desert with us. It's not you who accuses us. That's somebody else. It's you who invites us to come and live. It's in your name we pray. Amen.